0: It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today I am joined by Samantha Meredith Ruth, or better known as Sam. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. How is life in Boulder, Colorado? It is gorgeous. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Lovely. Well, um, by the time this, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be deep in the throes of winter. We might even be tired of winter by the time this, this airs. So let's enjoy the fall right now.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well then if it's winter, it's completely sunny and hopefully no snow, because if it snows, the sun melts it. So hoping for a mild winter here.
0: Yes, yes. Well, we do too around here. So let me tell people about you. Samantha is a psychologist, speaker, best-selling author, and the proud founder of Grief Hab, a 24-7 support community open to anyone who has experienced a loss. She helps people around the world turn their pain into power by guiding them to their true selves, not who they think they need to be, by embracing their differences and by living life on their own terms. Samantha's mission is to change the way the world views grief and mental health so people can speak about whatever issues they have and get the help they not only need but deserve without fear of judgment, labels, and repercussions. In her free time, you can find Samantha with her pups on one of their outdoor adventures. Music fuels Samantha's soul. Family means everything to her, and honoring her late husband, Jim, and making him proud gives her life daily purpose. You can work with Samantha individually in one of her exclusive groups, or you can have her speak at your event or organization. You can contact Samantha to determine what's best for you at sam at samantharuth.com. So tell us a little bit about yourself that is not on the bio.
1: Let's see. I grew up in Michigan, complete tomboy, daddy's girl, loved sports, loved the outdoors, and, um, was in Michigan until, well, I'll back up when I was 24, getting my master's, I met my soon, to, my later in life husband, and we were together for a few years and everyone knew, you know, you could just see, we had that magical, we have that magical love, but yeah. we were babies <laughs> uh-huh. and we both had some growing up to do and we were career driven. So we took some time apart. And in that time he moved to Colorado. So when we reconnected, um, he said, please don't make me move back to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up here and, uh, less than four years after I moved here, he collapsed unexpectedly at work on a regular Wednesday afternoon. And to say that I was lost and devastated and, um, um, you know, my life was completely shattered. I had moved across the country, given up my thriving practice, uh, and had this whole life planned. What,
0: um, did he have a heart attack?
1: He had an undetected heart condition that he had lived with his whole life. So they said it could have happened anywhere, anytime. Okay. And this is, you know, this is somebody active hiking, working out, play a softball. Um, and it actually, something very similar happened recently in the UK with a soccer player. And, right. I saw and that. the only reason he survived is because they had paramedics there on the field with everything.
0: Um, so. Did you have children at the time?
1: We did not. When we reconnected, we wanted to take advantage of every minute together and make up for lost time. And we were talking about it. We were We were thinking about it, but we just didn't get that chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, back up a little bit for me. Um, Talk to me a little bit about career wise. What was it about psychology and therapy that was fascinating to you?
1: I'm one of the people who always knew. Like if, if you ask my parents and you go back and what did Sam want to be? It was always connected to helping others, working with kids. And the only thing I can think of, I trace it back to when I was seven or eight years old, I went to a small private school that was very diverse. And we went on a field trip where there were several other schools and my best friend was bullied, like seriously bullied. And, um, She's black. And I did not know that. I didn't understand that we were different in that way until this took place. And so we both went home, obviously impacted. And I think I, that just lit a fire in me at a very young age to have a voice, especially for people that are struggling to have their own or helping them build their own
0: voice. Mm-hmm. Did you deal mostly with adolescents in your practice?
1: when I started, I did, I worked with at-risk teens and their families and have all, and, and a lot of suicide and surviving a suicide and, uh, you know, very traumatic things, eating disorders. Uh, And then as I grew and my practice grew, I did start working with families and couples, but I always did work with that trauma culture with people that, Mm -hmm. that were rebuilding in some way.
0: You know, my daughter-in-law has experienced um, some grief in her, in her history and really wants to work with adolescents with grief. And, and, um, I just, I just admire that so much because there's just so many moving parts with an adolescence between their caregivers and their hormones and their, you know, just stages in life. And, um, I just think that's an incredibly admirable, but tough, tough field.
1: No, she will do incredible because they're, they're. There are many people who work with adults. There are not many people, or as many people, who work with adolescents, especially this type of a culture that that's mm. struggling. Uh, so, for a var- for a variety of reasons, but a lot of people don't want to deal with the complications that come with parents and having you know a treat somebody in, in that you're working with that's a minor. Right.
0: Right. So did you find that being a um, psychologist and having that background gave you tools to deal with your grief or did it, did it catch you unaware and give you just new depth and understanding for other people's grief?
1: My education and experience meant nothing. I was completely broken and had an entirely new understanding of what people actually go through and what people actually need, even though I was, I mean, I was trained, you know, 20 years of experience.
0: Right. So what do you think was, um, was some of the standout things, I don't want to say lessons, but some of the things that you learned about yourself through the grief process?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say is that as a psychologist, people did have that perception that I would be better equipped to recover or heal. Mm -hmm. And there was this expectation that I would just return to work and return to life as it had been. And I couldn't, number one, you know, I was grieving and I wouldn't, I don't, I don't subscribe to the fake it until you make it put on a happy face. I was struggling and I was open about that. And that wasn't well received. It makes people uncomfortable. And so the biggest thing I learned is that we have got to tune out all of that noise. There are people who love us and want what's best for us, but that doesn't mean that is actually what's best for us. And everything that they know, Right. I didn't know, but we all have a gut feeling or a little voice. And I had to, for the first time in my life, ignore what my colleagues were saying and my parents were saying and the people I love and respect. And I had to listen to it did not feel right to go back to work and help other people with their problems when I wasn't functioning Yeah, Yeah, This was unfamiliar. I'm the type A planner who has everything kind of mapped out. So to take this unfamiliar, I don't know what's next path um, wasn't only unfamiliar to me. No one around me understood. And they were, you know, they were concerned, but I had to do what felt right. And that gave me so much power because once I did it, things started happening to prove me right. And yeah. oh my God, what if I had listened to myself all along and ignored all the noise?
0: <laughs> all the outside noise that is influencing your decisions. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, what is it about um, your faith and your views of the afterlife and um, how, how has that comforted you or what was challenging about that?
1: I don't know that I truly was in touch with my actual beliefs before losing Jim. I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm reformed. We celebrate the holidays. We get together, but I've never been very, very religious. I've always been more spiritual and I Mm -hmm. talk to my grandparents that I've lost. I believe they're somewhere looking out for me, but this took it to a new level. This Made me have to connect with the universe and things mm-hmm. that I. It was out of my comfort zone. I, I was not that woo woo girl that would say things like that was a sign from Jim or I truly believe my mm-hmm. second dog that I got because my first was grieving is him. Mm-hmm. You know, I have never had an animal like her in my life, and and I would have said. <laughs> this person sounds crazy. Before yeah. Yeah. and now I'm this person.
0: Yeah. Well, how important is it for people to have some sort of faith understanding as they go through the grieving process? Do you think that's essential? Do you think it's helpful? Um, what What priority do you place that in grieving? I
1: really do think it's essential. I think you are so broken and lost and in pain. And, and all I could think about was getting through the basic daily tasks and surviving the day. So I had to believe, and even when you question it, why did this happen to me? How could you take Mm -hmm. Jim? All of those things. I had to believe that there was something bigger than me that would get me through it and help me figure out the way. And that's the other lesson is that, Every single person healing has their own journey and no two look alike. And again, the world pipes in with this noise. Somebody is judged for going back to work too soon and somebody else is judged for not going back to work soon enough. So you really have to find your path and trust it and trust the universe or God or whoever
0: you believe in
1: that you'll find the way and that only you know
0: the way. Right. And sometimes I I feel like um, just through some of the tragedies and challenges of my own life, one of which um, uh, was my two year old being diagnosed with cancer and people used to ask me, um about my faith and about God and w- what you know place um he played in 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 that and i just said you know i just have to stand on the words of job and just say in the end god wins you know i don't get it i don't understand i don't agree but in the end i know that god's god's in control and that that's all i had for a season and i think just that was grounding right just Absolutely. having having something bigger than myself
1: yeah because it doesn't make sense and you will not make sense of it.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Definitely. Um, Did you feel like, uh, I mean, after years of like, not, um, not being together and then reconnecting and all that, did you feel like there was a sense of unfairness to it or, or were you resigned to this is just bad things happen sometimes?
1: No, I, I, okay, I will say that it makes you have bad thoughts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like I felt Mm -hmm. like I was, here's my friend whose grandmother's turning 97 and Jim was only 46. Like things like that go through your head. It is unfair. Right. Right. Uh, And then you feel, then I'm like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just that I couldn't choose the path of anger. His family was very, very angry and wanted to Sue the hospital, you know, do all sorts of things. And that wasn't healthy for me. You know, Mm -hmm. nothing was going to bring him back. So I I was focused on healing and surviving and not trying to make make sense of it. It it sucks. And that's what I said. Literally, I thought my first book was going to be titled Embrace the Suck, because all I said (laughs) for like a year (laughs) is this sucks. And I think most people feel like you have to put that on a shelf and get back to work or parenting or life, and I believe that keeps you stuck. I believe that makes it harder for longer if we don't talk about it and and acknowledge where we are. We
0: will honestly, yeah,
1: feel, and it's also data for other people. People, yep. it's invisible. So if we act fine. People might believe, oh, they're fine. Grief lasts this long.
0: And is it is it true? I mean, I know that there are the kind of prescribed stages of grief, but is it true that everybody just truly grieves at their own pace and differently than the next person?
1: Yeah, it's not like a linear A, B, C, D. No, you can have all at once. You can have them in any order. I, I feel like grief is like a tidal life. And in Mm -hmm. the beginning, you are completely drowning, and every day it's just you know finding that one lifeline, finding something to hold on to, and then it changes, and you can doggy paddle (laughs) and swim, you know. But but those waves still come, no matter how far along you are. There are triggers or things that just hit you unexpectedly, and. If we don't share that with the world, they don't know that it's not just holidays and birthdays and anniversaries that Mm -hmm. are difficult. Every day is a challenge. We just don't broadcast it all the time.
0: Right, right. Were there some things that people did for you or said to you that were uh, helpful during that time?
1: What was most helpful was people... Accepting me where I was, if I didn't want to go to a public place with a hundred people that were laughing and you know having drinks, the people who really knew me best knew I needed to be doing something outside or something at home with my dog in pajamas with no judgment. So I'm here for you, um, thinking of you. Just the people who consistently were there with no expectation from me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you wrote a book.
1: I have a chapter in a few books, my own book, a book other authors coming out.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Tell me a little bit about those projects.
1: Well, I want to start by saying I was writing to heal again, just surviving. It wasn't like I knew that a book would come out of it. So I, that's when I say, just trust that little voice or what feels right because you don't know where it's going to lead. Uh, I wrote a chapter in a book. My chapter is called Infinite Love, and it's about me and Jim and the process of being in a book with other people and having that support when you're learning what it's all about is incredible. So that really helped me recognize that I shared this story and it helped people. Yeah. They responded. And so I wanted to continue writing and I write Jim a letter every day, by the way.
0: <laughs> mm. That's great. That's great. Writing is so, um, I, you know, I think it's overused to say it, but it's so cathartic and so therapeutic to be able to use another part of your brain to express your heart feelings, emotions, um, frustrations. And I, I, I find that very helpful in my own life.
1: I went back to being a child. I felt like, number one, I had to learn everything all over again. But I also went back to that mindset of what would be fun or entertaining right now or what Mm -hmm. might bring me peace. So here I am finger painting Mm -hmm. again. And other people might be like, "Okay, she's 44 years old. What's going on? But now I use art as healing. Yes. You know, so uh, you don't have to understand the reason right now. If something can help you breathe or bring you a little peace or comfort, joy isn't, you know, that's not possible in the early stages, you know, in the really deep grief. You can't think about that. So just think about what's going to help me get through this moment. And if there are things that take it down a notch, do them no matter how, what they look like to anyone. How
0: wacky else. It might seem to somebody Hi. else. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I think art is such a huge, a huge outlet that helps us, um, process things almost um, unconsciously as, as we're creating Uh, that has been, that has been huge in my life. And, you know, if you can see my room, I live in an art room. So, um, (laughs) so that's kind of my, my happy place for sure. So tell me about the Be Be Ruthless show.
1: The Be Ruthless show is about making noise and breaking stigmas. (laughs) And Uh as a psychologist, I have always wanted to change the way the world views mental health. But when I became a widow, I learned how similar grief and mental health are because I felt like I had red horns, you know, and I was glowing and people didn't know how to act around me. And Mm -hmm. I'm the one suffering, but I'm the one being judged. So right. I, I became very passionate about doing whatever I can to change the way the world views grief and mental health, mm-hmm. because until people understand and until we have these conversations, people don't know any differently. We're not That's taught true. that it's it's essential to grieve and that gr- that loss could be a job. You know, a relationship, even if it's not death, we are not taught the importance, the kids during COVID who couldn't have graduation, these things are real, and you feel them. And if you stuff them, they it resurfaces in an unhealthy way. So I'm just trying to shout it out to the world and have the conversations that make people uncomfortable, so that we really can let people know what we
0: need. Well I think you make a really good point as one who deals with mental illness in my own life. I think as uh, people who struggle with mental health, it's sometimes not acceptable to be able to say that out loud and say, here's what I struggle with or here's what you know the real reality of my challenges because then people are like, you know well, pick yourself up. Well, you know, be happy. Well, you know, have, have joy in the Lord. And I mean, just all these little quips and phrases and everything that are meant to be encouraging, but really um, just kind of poke a needle in your heart and say, you're doing it wrong. You know, when, when really what we need is we need people to understand where we are and to say, "I, I get it. Today might be a tough day and you might need help or assistance getting through the day. And dang it, that's okay. Exactly.
1: And that is no different than what we need when we are grieving. We, yeah. you know, in my first episode of the podcast, I said, we are allowed to raise our hands in school and ask questions. And we're allowed to ask to go to the bathroom. We should be allowed to raise our, taught to raise our hands and say, I'm not okay inside.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about, um, medications and, um, how, I mean, you advocate for both, um, health with, with medication and without medication. Do you, um, do you, do you feel like that's been operational in your life? Have you had medications that at seasons in your life have been helpful? I,
1: so I do a lot of alternatives for medication. Okay. And that was, I didn't want people to have the perception that I'm anti-medication because yes, I have absolutely, I call them, I call medication emotional crutches and I wouldn't be here without mm-hmm. that. That doesn't mean that it's easy. I was lucky and the first medication they tried worked and I've been on it and on and off of it. So the the day Jim passed away, I immediately went back on it. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't have to go through the struggle of trying a few different things. But even for people who do, when you find it, it helps you be calmer, be more stable so that you can develop the tools.
0: Yeah, yeah. When, and when you say emotional crutch, you don't mean that in a negative sense, you mean that as a supportive sense, right?
1: Absolutely. When we break our arm or break our leg, we have a cast and we have crutches and people can see that something is wrong. Mental illness is invisible. Mm-hmm. So again, nobody knows what we're dealing with. So it, it does not have to be as hard as it is. If there are all, if there are things available to help you through it, why would, you know, would you have a broken arm without putting that cast on? So emotional crutches right. are amazing. And we all should have them as tools to pull out when things get tough.
0: Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about alternative medicines. What do you think are um, good alternatives to two medications that are also helpful?
1: The first thing I always say to anyone is nutrition.
0: Mm-hmm. There
1: are foods that are triggering for anxiety and depression, who would know that there are absolutely foods that create more intense symptoms for people with ADD or ADHD. So something, if you're willing to put in the effort is just looking at your diet, that's an Mm -hmm. easy one, but there is, I mean, there's acupuncture, there's Reiki there, there's so many different tools and, Again, I don't want anyone to reach the point that you're suffering so much that you say, I'll try anything. I want people mm-hmm. to know that these are out there to use in addition to medication without. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's. um I think it's a wise person who understands that there are so many different modalities that that can help us and to avail yourself of those resources. And I appreciate practitioners like yourself who are willing to do that um, and not just go straight to, straight to pills or completely ignore them at all. I think there's a balance in that as in all of life, right?
1: Absolutely. And I'm sensitive to medication you know, my parents can tell you stories from when I was 10, 11, 12, and they would try to get me something over the counter. So for me, alternatives to medication has nothing to do with being against medication.
0: Right. Right. Sam, What do you most want people to know about you, about you? Oh my goodness.
1: I want people to know that I am here, that I am proof that even when you think there is absolutely no hope and you have no dreams and have no idea what's next, that there's hope and, and you will get to a place that's better. It will never be the same, but it can be better. Um, I want people to just know that I get it. I've been there. I live with anxiety. I'm I've, I've lost my husband. I've moved across the country. I, am not judging anyone. And all I want is for people to not have to struggle. So if I can help you find somebody who's the right fit, I'm not trying to have everybody come to me and say, I'm the only person available. I'm saying don't go through it alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. So the podcast is the Be Ruthless show, and you can find that at all your podcast or vi- or providers. Um, tell us a little bit more about how people can find out more about you or get in contact with you, ask questions. How would they go about doing that?
1: You can go to my website, which is samantharuth.com, and you can text or email me from there. You can also find me on social media the best way to interact with me is in the grief Hab Facebook group, because you have, you know, 24, seven access to me in there and the grief, what grief Hab. Okay. And that's, that's also, I work with people also one-on-one to I think when we're grieving, there are so many things that pop up that we have to deal with that interfere with the healing process. So I view my job as taking all of that off of your plate so that you can just heal.
0: Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and just sharing of your story. And, um, I just, I just value it very much and value your time. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me here and talking about such important, relevant information.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the post-traumatic faith podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google podcast today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, Jill Riley Author. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.